Hi friends, and welcome back to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as you know we love to call it, the show that helps you grow. My name is Jason Wheeland. I am on the spiritual growth team here at Saddleback, and today we um, have a really cool episode. Um, I have a conversation with Dr. Richard Vance Goodwin, who is an uh, adjunct assistant professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he teaches classes there on pop culture and television. Uh, we had uh, fun talking about that, and because that is probably like one of the coolest titles and uh, topics that I would get to teach about, and uh, so that was fun getting to talk to him about that. We all, uh, he is also the director of ministry training at Pathways College in New Zealand, and he has a new book that just came out um, last month in July called Seeing is Believing, The Revelation of God Through Film. Friends, this is a really fascinating conversation. We talked about um, art and how art um, can in- inspire um, um, a, a divine experiences and what does that look like. In, 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 and we talked about how we can uh, watch movies and then kind of have quiet time, a devotional time afterwards where we're talking with God about what we experienced. So if that all sounds kind of cool, it's because it is. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Richard Goodwin. Okay, I am joined today by Dr. Richard Vance Goodwin. Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Really appreciate you coming all the way from New Zealand, where it's the winter here, as we were just talking about. <laughs> Kia ora, greetings from New Zealand. Yeah, it's good to be here, Jason. I'm really excited, and thanks for having me. So I wanted to get into, first and foremost, now, you um, are an adjunct assistant professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. And you get to teach classes on pop culture and television. So first off, where did this interest come in? And how? And secondly, how much fun is it that you get to engage with pop culture and, and TV and movies uh, as your job? <laughs> it's pretty fun. And um, I guess I got into it largely because I thought it was fun. Um, not, I don't mean that in a sort of frivolous way, but just that... Um, you know, my interest in pop culture is, is probably the same as anyone else's. It's that most of us are immersed in it in some way. And um, I've always just been somebody who is interested in yeah what's going on and what people are um, enjoying in terms of TV and movies and music. And um, I suppose my interest in sort of pursuing it theologically began when I was at um, college here in New Zealand. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but I thought studying media studies sounded fun. And so I started doing that and taking classes in film theory and watching, you know, for the first time, kind of great films, you know, um, classics of cinema and uh, really just having my mind blown. But more than that, having um, experiences that felt meaningful and powerful. And the irony was for me at that age as a young adult was that, um, you know, some of these movies were not exactly G-rated. They were the kinds of movies sometimes that, you know, my 
youth leaders might have um, frowned upon. And when we were, when I was a teenager growing up in the church, you know, we were mostly, when we talked about media consumption and pop culture, it was mostly about what's okay and what's not okay. And what these experiences were kind of, or the kind of questions they were raising for me were, you know, why, why is it these movies that I'm, you know, I've been warned against watching are actually so powerful and meaningful and seem to have almost a a kind of spiritual impact. And um, I didn't have the kind of theological um, foundations or, or, or theological kind of um, understanding to really be able to understand or, or articulate that at the time, but it did kind of propel me on a bit of a, a bit of a journey and that eventually kind of led me down this path where, yeah, it's, it's something of a career, I guess. Yeah. That's fascinating. So for those people who, who may be listening and wondering what is, what does it mean that you teach classes on, on pop culture and television and film? Mm. I, I give us some examples of what does like your course load look like that you're teaching like, like in the fall or something like yeah. that. But what are some yeah. examples of those classes? Yeah, sure. So I teach two, classes for fuller. I teach them online, obviously, because I'm, I'm in <laughs> New Zealand and I do have a full-time gig at a, a small path, um, a small college here called Pathways College of Bible and Mission, which where I'm not teaching um, about pop culture specifically, more just general um, systematic theology and so on. But um, my fuller gig um, is, yeah, more of a side hustle and it's, um, I teach the course Theology and Pop Culture okay. and I teach another course Theology and TV. And uh, there are other courses too at Fuller, like Theology and Film and, and so on. So that Fuller has a, a lot of these kind of courses. Um, in Theology and Pop Culture, we each week tackle a different form of pop culture mm. and a different kind of um, theme of pop culture So, um, or an aspect. So, you know, one week we look at music and emotion. Mm. Another week we will look at um, commodity culture and... Uh, I think perhaps consumerism that week. Um, uh, we look at street art and prophecy. Oh, um, fascinating. And, and so it's, it's sort of marrying these things. Um, and yeah, we're looking at, you know, video games and, and screen media, digital yeah. tech, um, that kind of thing. Um, it's not easy though. Like it's <laughs> not, you know, people, when you say, you know, when I was doing my doctorate in theology movies, sometimes people assume you're just watching movies all the time. It's actually, <laughs> relatively little yeah. uh, watching of movies and lots of reading of books. And it's a little, um, it's a bit of a balance in this, this pop culture course, you know, so students will be listening to an album, uh, but then they'll also have to read some, you know, some pretty um, serious stuff. So it's not, it's not just sort of a, a walk in the park, but yeah. it is still fun. And theology and TV is a similar sort of style. It's just that the form of pop culture that we're engaging with is TV. So each week there are, you know, viewings assigned. And so this week my students are watching a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad and an episode of Bridgerton. Um, And and then also having to do, you know, some serious grad grad school reading and and discussion about it. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's fascinating and it's it's probably not something that a lot of people spend their time thinking about is is that these two can tie together but it's really true and it's important because it's all around us it's called pop culture because it stands for popular culture so it's important Mm. so being able to engage with it and look at it from a theological view or perspective or lens is is important and it's just going to help people 
um, as they engage in and take part in in shape pop culture. But to do if for, for if we're, people are being trained to look at it from a theological standpoint, that kind of just helps to get that into the ecosystem, into the water a little bit more, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and and my students at Fuller are you know, a mix of um, people with different sorts of backgrounds and different kinds of vocations. But, you know, a lot of them are training for, um, you know, ministry within a church, sure. pastoral roles, um, and they want to be able to engage with pop culture more thoughtfully and intelligently That's as nice. part of their ministry and preaching and teaching. Others are actually in various form creative industries. They might be musicians or working in the TV industry. Fuller, um, yeah, has a good relationship, I guess, or um, is known amongst um, Christians in the, those entertainment industries because of its, um, you know, tradition of interest in this area and its yeah. proximity. I was going to say, it's pretty close to LA, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's proximity to, it, it's actually really fun. Um, I was a student at Fuller, did my master's degree there, and lived in Pasadena, and, um, you know, it means that as a student there, you often have opportunities to, um, meet filmmakers and hear them. They come in and, and will do, um, you know, uh, give talks and, and have conversations with students there. And so Fuller's had that kind of history of engagement, has uh, long um, prioritized this sort of um, theological dialogue with pop culture. And um, and so, yeah, it is, it's important and it does kind of draw in a number of different kinds of students. Yeah. I, I, I want to dive into your new book that just came out uh, on July 19th is seeing is believing uh, the revelation of God through film. I was thinking about this and I'm just curious to pick your brain on it because if if you think throughout history, you know, if you think of the arts, there's such a strong connection between the arts and Christianity and specifically right in other faiths too, but there really is the strong connection between the arts and Christianity, in, but film, as I was thinking about it, it kind of seems to be this kind of untapped frontier, if you will, because you have you have the fine arts, right? You go to the museum, you see all the beautiful paintings, the frescoes, all the all these all these different types of art medium that is depicting scenes of faith or scenes from the Bible or whatnot, and you think about music and the strong connection that music has to Christianity and the faith. All of these have direct have these direct connections but and while we do see christian metaphors and allegories in movies we usually hear about them or or read about them sometimes maybe more than we even see them or think about them at the time but i'm just curious why do you think that that film has kind of not had the same appreciation for its connection to christianity the way that other arts have yeah it's a good question i think it's probably mostly about historical context the other art forms that you refer to, you know, these sort of fine arts, the kind of art that we associate with museums and sort of yeah. um, quote unquote high culture and that sort of thing um, have been around a lot longer. And there was a time, you know, in the Western world where the church kind of ran the show and the church had the money and the best art was um, financed by the church. And so um, the art that was being made tended to be, religious, if you like, um, and more specifically Christian. 
And so, you know, you think about Renaissance painting, um, you know, I mean, who was paying Michelangelo to paint that Sistine Chapel? Well, obviously it was the church, you know, and so the church was the the patron of the arts. And um, there are some uh, thinkers in this space who are, you know, have said, you know, we need to get back to being patrons of the arts Mm. as the church. I think, um, you know, movies uh, have only been around a little over a century. And uh, it's not that the church hasn't been interested in using film technology. Um, There are examples of uh, Christians being pretty interested in trying to use this film medium um, for sort of gospel purposes, if you like, or or for kind of um, fairly explicit kind of um, uh, Christian storytelling from early on. Um, But I think probably... One thing that has been noted by a lot of people is that Christians haven't really mastered the art of cinema um, and that, you know, the fact that cinema has come of age in a relatively or increasingly sort of secularized West um, or in a, in a secularized, secularized world, I guess, um, in some ways, it means that the kinds of stories that have been told and the people that are um, the best at telling them are not being financed or by the church um, and may not be people who are people of faith or particularly motivated to tell stories exclusively about Christian faith. So I think it's about historical context, but there are people who have identified this people within the church who would love to see Christians really rising to the top of the, you know, the, the cinematic kind of art form and, um, there, you know, there are a handful of examples, but there's a group in, in Hollywood called Act One, mm-hmm. and Act One are a group of Christian filmmakers who are primarily interested in working within the mainstream of Christian film, but just um, making great film as believers. And um, and so, yeah, there's. I think it's a bit of a garbled answer, but I think it's about historical context. It's about um, perhaps a lack of mastery um, amongst Christians in this art form. Um, yeah. No, I think I think that's proud. I think that's very astute. That you know, if you go back and think about about the paintings, the music, all of these were commissioned, or 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 some of these were just overflows, and that was just part of the culture at the time. And now we live in this society where culture, you know, it, it values some different things, and so yeah. and so the filmmakers, as you said, where the money kind of goes is towards the things that people will pay money for, which is usually the loud, the fast, the big, you know, the visually like, you know, all over the place yeah. or whatnot. And it, and yeah. they don't necessarily, uh, it's, it, it's not going to bring a whole ton of buck, if you will, for yeah. the Christian film. That's about the guy who had his life transformed by seeing Jesus or something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And yet there's something, um, powerful and potentially, um, meaningful about stories that are about everyday life. Um, not every um, powerful, spiritually powerful film is going to be, um, you know, a, a biblical story adapted for screen. Sure. Um, and, and often it's the stories about ordinary life. And um, I can't say, I can't quote my sources here, but <laughs> my hunch um, is that uh, probably art in the West, just art in general, has over the last 500 years has probably been influenced a lot too by um, a kind of uh, reformation um, dignifying Mm. of the ordinary and the everyday. Um, That, you know, you think of people like Martin Luther who um, really like emphasized that 
you know, it's not like being a priest is not the only worthy vocation yeah. and that any kind of job has kind of value. And I think with the, the reformation, there was a kind of, um, yeah, a, a bringing of dignity to everyday life and ordinary stuff. And so, yeah, I, perhaps some of the, you know, the fine arts um, that were bankrolled by the church were also coming out of a time where, um, you know, perhaps ordinary stories uh, felt less worthy somehow. Interesting. Um, but I think nowadays we live in a, in a time where people see these stories and everyday life as worth exploring. And, and there's something valuable in that. So how do you think it, it is that that images, motions, music, especially when we're, when we're talking about film, that puts these things all together? And that's kind of the power of film that, that you don't get from a painting or even just from a piece of music or a photograph is you get these, this tie together of mm. all of these different forms of art coming together. How does, how does it have such a way of digging into our core our core, our soul, but what is it that kind of, you know, you say like, oh, I, I, I feel like I've been touched to my soul or that's just impacted me so much. What is it that you think kind of strikes that chord? Mm. I think it's because we're physical creatures. Um, I don't think that movies have the monopoly on, you know, sort of transcendent revelatory experience or even, or just sort of um, powerful experiences in response to art. You know, everyone can think of music that even if they just hear music alone without any kind of visuals um, is incredibly powerful. Um, you know, there's lots of accounts of people crying when they see a painting, um, you know, and, and so film doesn't have the monopoly, although I agree with you that I think the fact that it brings multiple kinds of um, uh, various art forms together in one package, if you like, yeah. um, is, is certainly can add power to it. Um, but I think the kind of more fundamental question is just, you know, what is it about this stuff that makes it powerful? And you could apply this to various art forms, I think is the fact that, yeah, we are physical creatures and uh, we don't just operate in the realm of thoughts and ideas. Um, and so, you know, there is a long history in the West of, of a sort of trying to treat human beings as basically minds and, 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 or, or maybe even souls um, with a body that is sort of inconsequential or maybe even a hindrance to our kind of development. Um, and this has been kind of woven into various streams of Christian thought since almost day one, uh, because it was a very sort of um, classical kind of Greco-Roman philosophical way of thinking about humans. Um, and that has tended to mean that we've elevated sort of the spiritual and, and intellectual sometimes um, to the detriment of the physical. And what this kind of has meant is that sometimes um, in the Western church and perhaps um, other parts of the church globally, we've tended to put our emphasis on the ideas and um, yeah, the kind of intellectual realm. Um, and there's, you know, a theologian who has been a, a very, is a very prominent voice in this um, particular, on this particular topic is James K. Smith or Jamie Smith. Um, and Jamie Smith is, you know, sort of talked about, um, this a lot as you know we're not like bobbleheads you know we're not like those <laughs> bobbleheads that you get handed out when you yeah. go to a dodgers game or <laughs> an angels game you know um where we're primarily just a head with this kind of body attached and and so i think this has ramifications for how we think about engagement with movies because um 
Yeah, like a lot of the time as Christians, we want to cut to the, we want to just kind of get to the moral of the story, mm. you know, and say the moral of this particular film, um, if you could reduce it to one, is that we should forgive one another or something like that. You can get up in a pulpit and say, I saw this great movie and it told told me that, you know, we should really forgive one another. And you'll just be getting yawns from the audience, you know. And, and yet those same people, if they go and watch the film, will actually be moved to tears perhaps yeah. um, and have uh, it could be a transformative experience for them. Now, what's the difference? You've given them the same kind of message, but film is not just about a message. It's about the entire experience that engages you, not just intellectually, but it engages you physically. It makes you hear things. It makes you see things. And as a result, it makes you feel things. And what we feel shapes who we become more powerfully often than what we think. And that is probably, if you were going to boil down a lot of Jamie Smith's sort of project down to a word or a line, that might be it. Yeah, I think we did um, a, a series on this podcast, I think it was last year, going through the book Embodied by Greg Allison. And it was talking very similarly, just about the, just all these pieces of you are interconnected. And when you, and you can't just disengage the body from, from everything that's going on. And when you're engaging with something like a film and you're hearing the music, you're seeing the images, you're thinking about what's happening, you are feeling, um, your empathy starts to trigger for the people that are involved in it. And it just becomes and this physiological response that you have, and it just feels powerful. You feel that wave of emotion or that wave of understanding or whatever it is. And when you tie that to what you are getting at in your book around the theological context behind it, that can lead to seeing or thinking about God in a different way. How have you experienced that? As you were going through this process of thinking through this idea and coming up with the book. Well, let's just start with what were some films that really kind of got you going that were like, ah, I can, I can see this happening here. I can see the power of how this points to this in this movie. It, it, are there ones in particular that really started to trigger this for you? Yeah. Yeah. I actually begin the book talking about um, the film Magnolia. Yeah. Now talk about, you know, I mentioned earlier the films that I was watching um, as a young adult, as a young adult film theory student were not G-rated. And, I was going to say, this yeah, one is very much R-rated. <laughs> very much R-rated. I don't recommend you people just go out there and watch it and <laughs> uh, put it on with um, the kids there or those with tender consciences. Um, I, you know, respect you and I, I don't, wouldn't want you to uh, watch something that was troubling to you. But um, this was a film that just it did something different to me and it wasn't alone in that, but it sticks out in my mind from that season of life as really prompting this kind of question of why is it that these movies and often these movies that seem so kind of profane in many ways um, seem to stir something in me that seems sort of somehow spiritual. And I don't even know if I could have articulated it quite like that at the time. C.S. Lewis is, um, I mean, C.S. Lewis has had a, he had a fascinating journey towards faith because, you know, even though he was, a, um, he, you know, mere Christianity is such a well-known book and it's a great work of apologetics. Um, he wasn't, he didn't come to faith because of primarily because of rational arguments yeah. for Christian faith. He came because of um, 
experiences of what I would call divine revelation. Mm -hmm. But he says he didn't recognize them as revelation until later on. Early on, he saw them as just a special kind of aesthetic experience, a a kind of experience that uh, in response to something beautiful, whether that was in creation or through art, often through through literature for C.S. Lewis. Um, yeah, so I think probably similarly, initially I had these experiences and I probably didn't categorize them as, re- I certainly didn't categorize them as revelation, um, but they did feel somehow meaningful and different and spiritually powerful. And then, you know, like kind of churchy stuff um, <laughs> didn't, didn't kind of feel that same way to me, even though I've always, um, you know, been very committed to um, following Christ. So um yeah, it was just that I was kind of, I guess, um, having these kinds of experiences in response to a film like Magnolia, but there were others as well. And that just kind of propelled me on this journey of sort of, yeah, what, what is it about a quote unquote secular culture that can do this? And why do we have to stay away from it? I mean, that, that was probably <laughs> the one of the driving questions is if it's so powerful and if I feel like I'm being enriched in, in, and I mean, maybe it might sound a bit dramatic, but it may be even becoming more Christ-like somehow through my engagement with some of this stuff. Then why is it that we seem to be um, so sort of puritanical and strict? And the only thing we, even more importantly, why is it that the only thing that we want to talk about um, when it comes to movies is what what is okay and what is not? Now, I realize that's not the only thing that people are talking about, but this was when I was a young adult. So that's what I had been <laughs> exposed to. And it was a different age, you know, it was, it was 20 years ago. And I think the church has um, sort of become a little bit more, um, yeah, conversant with popular culture in that time. And sometimes maybe that has not always been positive too, but on the whole, I think there's some good stuff there. Now, I wonder, and in, in, in please, you feel free to tell me, you know, I think you're wrong, Jason, on this. <laughs> and that's, I, that's yeah. totally fine. Um, I, just, I, I was thinking about these filmmakers, uh, the people who you mentioned uh, a lot, you, you know, like the Paul Thomas Anderson for Magnolia or the Terrence Malick, the Stanley Kubrick, that kind of stuff. I wonder if sometimes you have directors, these filmmakers, especially the auteur directors who set out and they're trying to capture something about the human condition and mm. they make this film, you know, it, 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 and tell this story that's trying to set out to capture the human condition. But incidentally, they are, are showing something of divine revelation of God because, you know, Imago Deinus being made in God's image, you're actually showing something about God through, even if, if it was incidental to them but yeah. but for those who are looking for it is you can see that I, I don't i don't know yeah yeah so one thing i take pains to explain in the book is that no one can orchestrate or manufacture revelation yeah if if uh, you're manufacturing revelation as a filmmaker it's actually not revelation um, because revelation by definition is god revealing god's self yeah. um and that can only happen because god chooses to reveal God's self. So, um, yeah, it's not something anyone can manufacture. Um, you can't, as a filmmaker, make a movie that's going to be, you know, <laughs> I'm going to set involved. out to explain God. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, 
And even if you sought to explain God, I mean, you, there are plenty of films that um, try to uh, grapple with issues of God, sure. even depict God, you know, yeah. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, that the recipient or the viewer, I should say, is going to experience sure. a moment of kind of revelation. Um, and that's really what we're talking about. I mean, yeah. a film can can talk about God all at once, but that is, that's different to the kind of experience that um, I'm kind of getting at, mm. you know, and there are experiences that we have in life that are sometimes, sometimes difficult to articulate, but they um, feel uh, spiritually powerful. We might sense that we're in the presence of something holy. We have the sense that this was somehow sacred. We have a sense that um, God was present or God spoke to me or something like that. And sometimes we don't even know the words to put to it. It just feels powerful and meaningful in a way that is not sort of ordinary. And sometimes I think those kind of experiences might be moments of divine revelation. And a filmmaker cannot um, orchestrate that. Only God can orchestrate that. Mm. However, one of the sort of key arguments I'm making here because I'm not the first to say that sure. revelation happens through movies, not by a long shot. Yeah. I'm following in the footsteps of uh, other people, Rob Johnston, uh, who's now sort of a, a professor emeritus at, at Fuller, yeah. um, but, you know, was my, one of my professors and has been, you know, he's been a trailblazer in this area. Craig Detweiler, who wrote the forward for my book. Oh, cool. Cutter Calloway, who's a good friend of mine and who's, who's um, currently sort of uh, the, you know, main, one of the main faculty in this kind of area, mm. these guys have all gone ahead of me and, and others and said, you know, revelation can happen through film. Uh, God can meet you. You can have a divine encounter to use yeah. Rob's phrase um, through film. So I'm not the first to say it. I think what I was trying to do that um, I'm not aware of others doing in quite the same way was just try to say like, but what in a film might actually make or invite would be the better word, invite the viewer to be more open to revelation. Mm. And so for this reason, I use the paradigm of Jacob okay. at Bethel, the story of Jacob in Genesis 28, when um, Jacob is running from Esau and he just, he just lies down to sleep on the side of the road. And he has a dream. This is the, what we sometimes refer to as the Jacob's ladder dream. Yeah. And he awakens from this dream, this, this um, vision, this revelation from God. And he says, how awesome was this place? Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And, and that to me is really key because mm. it's possible to be in the presence of God for revelation to be all around you and to be unaware of it until something shifts your awareness. Yeah. And I think what filmmakers can do is they can shift your awareness, uh, particularly through the kinds of emotional responses that they invite. Mm. Um, and, mm. and great filmmakers do this, you know, great filmmakers know how to use um, their, the composition of images, the editing, the music, acting performances, lighting and everything, all parts of, a film. What are some good examples of this? So. Sorry, examples? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is um, pretty much the second half of my book. Yeah. Um, so um, the examples I use are, uh, first I look at um, two films, actually. One's called Oad, or it's often called Audet, um, but uh, it's a Danish film, and my Danish friend from church tells me it's pronounced Oad. Uh, and it's an old <laughs> You're Danish like, sure, film. I will... 
I will believe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but this is a uh, this is a banger of um, of kind of uh, spiritually inflected cinema. It's considered one of the greats, um, and and it was kind of sort of quasi remade. Uh, by a Mexican director called Carlos Regadas um, in 2007 in a film called Silent Light. Um, and I mean, they're both kind of artsy movies, but um, they, I look at those two films as um, and how the directors have used light to evoke a sense of wonder from the audience. And, and what happens is if a, an audience feels a sense of wonder, then that is like um, an emotion that tunes them in to what well, potentially tunes them in to areas of life where God is already revealing God's self. Yeah. Um, and so it might be that then a student has a little bit of a, a Bethel kind of experience mm-hmm. where they say, surely the Lord was in this cinema and I was not aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that God was already speaking. God was already revealing God's self through aspects of life. And, and this film invited an emotional response through its its lighting or its editing or what have you um that has just put me in a place to kind of tune in to god's revelation mm. you asked for example so i'll just throw yeah, in another please, couple please 2001 a space odyssey a yeah. film that a lot of stanley kubrick's great film a lot of people would almost think of it as sort of the antithesis of a Christian film <laughs> in, in many ways. Um, but yeah, a lot of people um, have these kind of powerful spiritual experiences that may sometimes be re- revelatory. And so um, I, in that one, I look at how Kubrick has con- composed his images um, and uh, the mise-en-scene to use the fancy language um, in order to evoke a sense of awe. Mm. Psychologists have found that awe um is more when people experience awe, they are more likely to believe in God. Yeah, that's mm. just a, a psychological scientific fact. Mm. And so, when a when a filmmaker is able to invite an experience of awe from his, from the audience, then the audience may be more attuned to the divine speech that is going on all around us. And then the last um, example I give, sure. um, the last chapter, main chapter is on Magnolia. And I look at editing and how editing is used to create a sense of, um, a sense of communion and human connectedness. Mm, that sounds fascinating. So for, so you mentioned a couple of them, you, 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 light and awe and editing. Are, are, are there any other things that people can be looking for? If, if people are listening to this and they're like, huh, I want to start looking for these cues if you will, you know, these uh, pieces of uh, of the film that might help me invoke this, you know, to help them kind of see what you're seeing. It, it, are, are there other things that people can be looking for in that? Yeah, I think so. I think potentially um, any part of the cinematic medium could be worthy of this kind of scrutiny. Um, I suppose my method is to kind of um, work backwards from experience experience so start with experience so i would say um just watch the film and and i mean most of your listeners have probably watched um hundreds of movies in their lives um and and you might think about like what are the movies that have really moved me and shaped me and then um and then and then start to think about okay so what elements of those films have had that effect now very often it is the story i mean story is enormously powerful um and so and, and, and I haven't, I, I do touch on story quite a bit because you can't analyze a film usually without analyzing a story as well. But um, 
whereas a lot of theological engagement with film has tended to focus almost solely on story, um, I just wanted to tip the scales a little bit and sort of say, hey, let's look at how the story is constructed through images. And, um, and, and yeah, just kind of address that kind of imbalance that's been there in some ways. But, you know, you might think about the, the story, you might think about the acting, you might think about the music. So Carter Calloway, I mentioned him before from Fuller Seminary, um, full-time faculty there. Uh, he's He wrote his... Um, his doctoral thesis, which was published as um, scoring transcendence mm. on um, on film music, um, and uh, you know, yeah, lighting, mise en scène, editing, any component of a film, color, and there are parts of you know that I would have loved to have um, addressed and written more on, you know, <laughs> if I had more time and inclination. Uh, this, this this project started out life as my doctoral dissertation, okay. and um, you get to a point where you go, I just got to get this done. So, <laughs> yeah. um, it was more that I could have written, but maybe others want to do that. And and I would say you start with your experience. So I'd say rather than going into a film and sort of trying to go, oh, look at how this filmmaker has used lighting. I should expect some moment of revelation here. It's just not something that's that um, you can't just, you can't manufacture it. You can't, um, yeah, you can't just sort of conjure it like that. So I would say, I think you just watch it and you have your experiences. And then those that stand out, you might want to work backwards from there and look at, you know, what, what do I think might've actually elicited that kind of response? And that was kind of my method and my approach. Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating idea that it's not something that you can go in kind of, you know, expecting to see or, or, or just go in with this with this expectation or to or to have the thought that it's, you know, it was intentionally built in. But really what you're talking about is like this may come up for you and just be aware of it and and accept it, embrace it and then spend some time thinking about it afterwards if you feel yourself watching a film and you're caught up in the moment for for whatever reason don't just attribute it and say and say wow that filmmaker did a good job of this you know and and, and just write it off but it, but then take it with you afterwards and kind of think about it and, and almost have some quiet time about it some devotional time about it and say say god what was it about that that really struck me and why is that is that something that you've started to engage with that kind of practice? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, referring back to those early days in college where I was sort of having these profound experiences, I, I was reflecting on them and, you know, um, you can approach watching a movie as a kind of spiritual discipline. Mm. Um, when I first, as a young like youth pastor, before any theological training, I was starting to um, wake up to the importance of media engagement. And, and I would sometimes use the phrase, you know, like for like titling, you know, a series or something, something like um, using media without media using you, you know, I think um, maybe using is the wrong word, but I, I like the idea that whereas we've tended to sort of say, you know, um, pop culture, we need to kind of be kind of wary of it. Um, we being, you know, I guess yeah. evangelical, you go back a generation <laughs> sure. or more. Um, we've tended to be wary of it. Instead, we can say, no, it actually can become, if engaged with um, in an in a appropriate way and engaged with thoughtfully and, and you know, in a, in a Christ-like way, then um, it can actually be something for, for our betterment. It can actually be spiritually enriching. And, um, and so, yeah, I absolutely think you can do that. Um, I think people might want to reflect on some of the more powerful 
movie going experiences that I've seen and, and maybe ask, you know, was God saying something to me there? And for some of your listeners, they'll, they'll, that won't be news to them. You know, yeah. some people are very open to the possibility that God might speak to them through a movie or through all sorts of other parts of life, but others might have more rigid categories and that might be a surprise to them. Um, and yet I would encourage them to um, be open to the possibility that God might speak to you from some very unexpected places. In the book of Numbers, God speaks through a donkey. I was, I was literally, um, okay, I was literally just about to say he can speak through a donkey. He can speak through yeah. a movie. That's great. Absolutely. And it's actually, a, it's, it's a underrated aspect of theology amongst evangelicals is what's sometimes called um, general revelation. Yeah. Um, and it's this idea that God speaks through creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes evangelicals, we've been very um, skittish about this doctrine because, <clears throat> excuse me, we want to rightly um, point to Christ as the full revelation of Jesus. And as the evangelicals, we've often put scripture kind of almost right up there on, yeah. on almost the same level. Um, but we've wanted to... Um, sort of save revelation for what we might call special revelation. Mm -hmm. And yet I think we need to be aware that God is speaking through all sorts of parts of creation. And this is called general revelation. And it's totally, utterly scriptural. A couple of um, examples I think are great um, that we find in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Paul is so fascinating because when he starts preaching, he's preaching to Jewish audiences So to build his case for Christ Jesus as the Messiah, he refers to the scriptures. No surprise there because he's talking to people who see the scriptures as authoritative. But what happens when he goes to the pagans? He doesn't refer to the scriptures, not initially anyway. Mm -hmm. He, when he goes to um, this sort of uh, the pagan backwater in Acts 14, and they want to worship him and Barnabas as gods, He gets up and preaches and he says, God has not left you without testimony. He gives you rain. He gives you crops. He fills your hearts with joy. These pagans have been happy, happy pagans. But imagine (laughs) that because God is already present, already revealing. Now, is that salvific? Is God revealing enough through creation to save people? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not is often probably the the answer that we've come up with. But because we've said that, we have tended to discount the whole thing. Um, in Acts chapter 17, Paul does something very similar, but instead of being amongst country folk, he's now amongst sophisticated uh, philosophers in Athens, and he quotes their poets, poets, by the way, who are writing poems about Zeus. And Paul just goes and takes those lines that he likes and says, yoink, I'll take that, and, and apply that to the God of Israel, who is actually the God of the universe. And the God revealed to us through Christ. These are examples of general revelation. Paul uses them. And that's an example to us too, because we live in a culture where increasingly less and less people see scripture as authoritative. So maybe the place to start with people is not the Bible says, maybe the place to start with people is, have you ever had an experience watching a movie? Mm. Or have you ever had an experience while looking at the night sky or experience holding your newborn baby. And people might be able to relate and say, oh, I felt that. I felt that tingle. I felt that holiness. I felt that something spiritual happening. And you and you might be able to say to them, 
is it possible that God was there with you at that moment? And then you can build from there to Jesus and the Bible and so on. But starting with that experience, I think, is important. And that's why, I mean, if I'm putting my book yeah. in, in this whole enterprise of theological engagement with pop culture in a wider kind of missional context, yeah. to me, that's a big part of it. Is It's, it's kind of going, look, less and less people are in church. Less and less people are claiming the label Christian. Less and less people are traditionally religious. And yet, you know, one of the most common descriptions that people have for themselves these days is spiritual, but not religious. In other words, they feel they believe in something more. They just don't believe what they were taught in Sunday school or what is being taught at the local synagogue or what have you, but they still feel like there's something more. And so being able to converse and get engaged with that something more and start there with people is an important skill for us. And I think, you know, exploring things like, um, movies and, and how it inter- interacts with faith and how God might be speaking through movies is kind of all part of that big picture. Well, and I just think that's really cool that it's it's looking at it. I, I think when people think about theolo- theology in film, is they're thinking of the explicit allegory or the, you know, explicit, you know, for television, they're thinking of the end of Lost, which is like explicitly trying to speak to faith or the leftovers or, you know, uh, hey, that part from Superman when he's flying out looking like Jesus on the cross. And they're looking specifically for these things. But what you're talking about is more experiential. It's more emotionally based. And it's that it's talking about how you can have the feeling of something powerful and, and you can be asking, okay, God, what are you wanting to teach me or, 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 or talk to me about even through this? So what is it that's making me feel that awe moment in this? And that's something that you, that you can talk with other people about, Hey, I, I felt something during that. You know, I, I want to share that with you. And I, I, I love that missional component of it that you were sharing about. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. It's great. So, this may not have been what people who are listening were, you know, were thinking that they were going to be getting today, but I'm so glad that we had this conversation because I think it's really cool. As you said, we've all probably seen hundreds of movies in our life. We may be going to see more this year. There's a lot of, you know, interesting films that are, are, are coming out at, you know, all times. So is there something that you can leave our listeners with? You know, this podcast is called Doable Discipleship. Is there something around this idea of, uh, of doable discipleship and what you are um, approaching f- from your book in this, in this topic here that you can leave our listeners with today. Yeah. Well, you know, I am, um, when I lived in Pasadena, I visited Saddleback uh, once and um, it was a great experience and it's a big church. And yeah. so I imagine that um, in your congregation, you've probably got um, filmmakers and artists, yep. uh, um, even outside of the film medium. Um, and I think for them, I'd love to um, for them to think a little bit about if they are trying to incorporate um, or make meaningful art that um, resonates at that kind of faith level um, to if to not only think about the sort of the message, um, but also think about the the aesthetics of it and the kind of experience that you might be inviting your audience into mm. that comes not just from, you know, the storyline or the lyrics of a song or what have you. So um, I think that that is, uh, you know, to those that are creative and artistic and are, are creating that sort of stuff, then my hope is that, that this kind of book would um, encourage a kind of broad approach to how um, you might approach your craft as a, as a believer for others. 
I think it's going back to um, what we were talking about before, which is um, that possibility that God might speak to us through all sorts of parts of life. And um, it might be worth us just being open to that possibility if we're not already. And um, and it might also be that that's a way to um, engage with other people. Mm. That it's about thinking, okay, maybe my, my neighbor doesn't um, believe the Bible, um, but that doesn't mean that God is not... Uh, already revealing God's self. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that they haven't already had God experiences. They might've had divine encounters and not even knowing it. Um, They might just need something a little bit like Jacob to say, you know, God was here, God was present and I just didn't know it. I just didn't realize it, you know? And so you might be the person that points that out for them. And and so being able to not put God in, in such a rigid box about where God can speak, but being open to God speaking in all sorts of other channels might mean that, um, you're able to, yeah, be aware of it for your own self and your own um, spiritual development and enrichment, but also for the sake of others. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to put the link to the book in the show notes. I also put a link to um, Saddleback's visual arts ministry, which is 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 working in those realms that you were just talking about, if those experience building um, mm. encounters. So um, I'll make sure to uh, to check those out. Richard, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your work that you're doing in this. It's really fascinating. And um, I, I'm just praying for all the best for this book and for this uh, next term that you're doing with your school year. So thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be here, Jason. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Kakitiano. See you later from <laughs> Aotearoa, New Zealand. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week (laughs) 